Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Well, good evening. Welcome to our Tuesday evening Torah study here. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming here. Thank you, people online. Um, before we start, well, let me say, let me just open in prayer. Father God, thank you for a very beautiful day today. Just thanks for loving us. Thanks for uh, being with us today, even though sometimes we probably didn't recognize it. Um, I just thank you for this group of people that found time in their schedule to come out and study your word. And I'd ask that you'd bless our time this evening as we look at your Torah. Um, there's so much in it, Father God, and I know you have something for each of us. Just be with us as we talk with one another, as we discuss this, that we can learn from each other how you'd like us to behave and how much you love us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, first thing I needed to talk about was some bookkeeping. A week from tonight is December 25th, and a week following that is January 1st. Now, December 25th and January 1st don't mean a lot to me, but they do mean a lot to a lot of other people around which we live. So I was going to propose that we not have the Torah study next Tuesday and the following Tuesday. Not because I'm kowtowing to any social mores or anything like that, but just because I felt like people would probably have other things that they could do with their family, and uh, it might be better to do it that way. So I'm interested in feedback. If you think that's a horrible idea and you really want to come on the 25th and the 1st, uh, let me know. Otherwise, I think I'd like to propose that we cancel. So what are any thoughts? Keep it. He wants to keep it, okay? Okay, you guys really want to do that, huh? You're going you're gonna to make me come out on the 20th? Okay, I'll do that if you want to. Huh? What's the vote? How many people would like to meet on the 25th? Okay. Okay, then. I, I have always said we're a democratic group. Whatever the group wants to do, that's what we'll do. So we'll, we'll come back next Tuesday. Now, Ward has told me he won't be able to videotape it next Tuesday, but that's okay. We can, we can still meet. We won't have to, you know, be self-censoring quite so much. So, there you go. Who? Who's going to learn how to do it by then? Oh, great. Yeah, well, yeah, I like that idea. It's over there. <laughs> Heck, that's half the battle. You know, I used to, I used to tell my, my granddaughter that, you know, when you get your first job, the main thing you can do to be successful is just show up on time. You don't think so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so fresh. Okay, I, I've got some other thoughts. What I can do is we'll meet on Tuesdays 
And whether or not we continue with exactly what's here, I'll think about that. We might do something a little bit different. But uh, next Tuesday. <laughs> and if I'd have had my act together, I might have had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I didn't. And I honestly, I was taken aback. I figured all you guys would say, oh, no, no, let's take the time off. We can, you know. Okay, well, yeah, you are in the minority because the majority of the people in the room voted well, the, that they'd the like to be here. rules. That's what I've said. That's what, I mean, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay, moving right along, as I like to say. So where were we last week? Last week we got, we're busy going through the plagues, right? And these plagues are... Uh, Everyone gets more serious than the last one, and um, it's becoming, uh, I think personally, um, the Pharaoh is becoming more and more irrational, and he's, uh, he's, he's doing stupid things like saying, you know, please pray to God to forgive us, and then the next day he says, never mind, I'm not doing what I said I'd do. So it's just really getting almost silly. Now, last week, I think we... We got through, or we, we left on the eighth plague. The eighth plague was the plague of locusts. I think we'll go through and review that. But before we do, there's a couple of things I wanted to point out, and I'd like to talk about them for a minute. Um, the first one is, it has come to my attention, if you will, that whenever God does something uh, in, the, you know, in the course of human events, as they like to say, he usually accomplishes several things with the same thing, with the same event. The same act that God um, orchestrates has several things that he, is a, that he is accomplishing. And that is definitely true for the Exodus, you know, for what he's going through now. The, the, uh, the plagues, and of course we know how the story we know how the story goes on from here. We know that the Pharaoh eventually relents and the, tells the people to go, but I wanted to go over for a minute, if just from the group, what are some of the things, what are some of the things that God has accomplished through this miracle of the Exodus? I'll give you an example. One obvious one, he's accomplished the deliverance of Israel, right? What's another one? Okay, wait, you got to get the microphone so we can get a, go for it. He's all powerful and he's all in control. Okay. He showed that he was in control or he all powerful. That's a good way to do it. Anything else? Uh, come on. I don't know. Y'all think about this. This has got some, there's some good ones here. So I, I had one of those epiphanies. It's yeah, kind yeah. of like what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I applied it to, to us, us as Americans. Okay. <clears throat> so, for example, what is, what is the request? He's exercising his right to liberty. If liberty is about being able to go where you want to, I think that's one good definition of what liberty means. Mm -hmm. I can go wherever I want to if I have a right to go there, of course. Yeah. I don't need permission from the government. I don't need a, a license from the government to go. I don't need a license from the pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's in the that's the life liberty. Mm -hmm. They're they're pursuing hap, pursuing happiness. Happiness to them is to be in in the covenant with Adonai and break mm -hmm. this thing with with uh, Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And that's life. That's uh, you know that's how their pursuit of happiness. And what are they going to do? What is the first uh, the first words in the uh, Bill of Rights? Is the 
freedom of assembly. Mm-hmm. Now, right what assemble is together? assembly? Is it I when I was first studying this, I thought it was a political things like we can get together at this tavern and discuss politics, or mm-hmm. you know, we can get together here and and do whatever we need to do. Well, this is the assembly. This is the most important assembly, like what we're doing right here yeah. and on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. And so what do they want to do? Mm-hmm. They want to go out into the desert at Mount Sinai and assemble. Exercise their freedom of assembly. Exactly. Right? Freedom. I agree with that. As a matter of fact, I would, I would encapsulate all of that with just the concept of freedom. Right. He wants to set his people free. Not free from Everything and no, not just, free from free to do what they want. With yes, they, to exercise their rights. Yeah, that's fine. There, there's a there's a correlation to this with uh, Dennis Prager talking about the uh, the uh, uh, the American the uh, the American Passover. What does he call it? Yeah, the American Passover is. The 4th of July. It's oh. doing that. Ah, okay. Oh, so, okay, okay. And he's tying it back to... Yeah. Of course, he's thinking, you know, Abraham's the first Jew. He's Jewish. He's thinking, mm-hmm. well, you guys should learn from us. Well, okay. <laughs> that, that's all good, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I really wanted to kind of focus on what things God was accomplishing by doing this, by doing the Exodus. That's good, though, because, you know, he's giving his people freedom. He's uh, reestablishing or reaffirming his covenant with his people. Here, 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 here. You could even go far as reaffirming his covenant with his people. He's keeping his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Um, what's he doing with respect to Pharaoh and the Egyptians? He's humbling them. Yeah. He's, he's showing whose God is greater. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely if you don't if you don't get anything else out of these plagues, you get the fact that it's God versus all the gods of Egypt, and our God wins. Yeah. Yes. He's creating a social media campaign that's going to go viral before the Israelites <laughs> everywhere they go, people are going to heard about it because they saw it on GodTube. Okay, if you say so. Um, that's fine. <clears throat> In relation to the uh, Egyptians, also uh, he's um, he's allow he's showing them the true way and allowing them a path of repentance. Exactly, he's not doing it just for the Israelites. By the way, another thing he's doing is he's showing the Israelites who he is, but he's also showing the Egyptians who he is. And by virtue of the fact that this story gets recorded and we're sitting here 3,500 years later talking about it, he showed the whole world who he is through this, right? Go ahead. Yeah, without being me trying to be funny, but yes, making his name known, the qualities and the characters of what he is and what he does, mm-hmm. it did put fear in the nations around mm-hmm. Israel, wherever they camped, because mm-hmm. they had heard what God had done. Yep. yep. Remember... Remember the first one where Moses wanders in there with his brother Aaron and he says, uh, uh, Elohim, I don't know whether what, he might have said Yahweh, I'm not sure what word he used, but he says, our God, the God of the Hebrews, tells you, is telling you that you need to let his people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know this God you talk about. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to listen to him, you know, and you're not going anywhere. So by the time we get to the eighth plague, 
that's a different story, right? He now knows who that God is in a very personal way. So let's see if there's a couple others I had down here. Well, it's another thing he's done. He's punished the Israelites for their treatment of the Israelites. He's punished the Egyptians for their treatment of the Israelites, right? Is an element of punishment to this, yeah. He, by what he did, uh, scriptures say that others went out with them. Yep. So he pulled people who saw the mighty hand mm -hmm. of Yah, mm -hmm. and they said, hey, we better go with this God mm -hmm. because, you know, yep. there's That's nothing the, left yep. here in Egypt. Exactly. Uh, let's see. He, um, he will, of course, introduce this concept of a Passover lamb and then the need for a redeemer. He'll do that. Enough. I just wanted you to think about that because other things that you can do here, if, if you got anything out of that little discussion, then you can ask yourself the same thing for what he did when, if you will, he sent Yeshua. Again, there was not one thing he did. He accomplished about a dozen different things, and it's worthwhile to sit there and think about what those things are. But I want to move on. Um, another thing that we've talked about as we've gone through this is, you know, some places it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and in other places it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And uh, we've talked about that a little bit. And I know it's kind of a difficult thing, but the, my Bible had a, a, a note in here see if I can get it. I wanted to read it to you because I thought it was pretty good. Do you mind if I just read this for a second? It won't take long. Then we'll, we'll get into the other stuff. It says, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? If Pharaoh was judged as a consequence for his own free will, we'd have no problem. He got what he deserved. But was Pharaoh merely a pawn in God's hands? The Bible seems to suggest that the events and even his response to them were not entirely Pharaoh's doing. It describes the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in different ways at different times. Uh, in a neutral sense, uh, as an act of Pharaoh's own choice and as an act of God's sovereignty. So, you know, it, it describes it two or three different ways. It says, while several passages describe God as the one of hardening Pharaoh's heart, um, nine other references indicate that Pharaoh hardened his own heart or that circumstances may have helped harden him. It was not until the sixth plague that God explicitly hardened Pharaoh's heart after several occasions where Pharaoh demonstrated his own stubbornness. So many conclude that the danger of resisting God is that he will eventually give us over to our own choices. And that's Romans chapter 1 talks about that. Um, Pharaoh may have resisted God so much that at the last he found himself unable to change. Old Testament writers apparently saw no contradiction in, God, in both God's and Pharaoh's simultaneous involvement. To them, Pharaoh's condition could be the result of both his own free will and God's sovereign will. So Pharaoh was not the hapless victim of God's action. However, God did not drag him against his will, kicking and screaming into disobedience, right? Pharaoh played a part, and God played a part. Pharaoh did, in fact, willfully oppose God. So ultimately, Pharaoh was responsible for oppressing the Israelites as well as for his own unbelief. And at the same time, on another level, God was also at work. Moses, writing years after the events, could say confidently that God was at work 
even in Pharaoh's hard heart. So the bottom line is, is the Bible clearly teaches that God is in control of everything, but yet he expects us to be responsible for our own decisions. Okay. So the Hebrew word, the root is hazak, and so it means to strengthen is the real core, the core meaning of it is to strengthen, to be strong. So think of it as, since we know heart is what is coming out of the thoughts and, and desire and these emotional things out of the heart, heart and mind being the same. So think of it as a person who is strong-willed. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh became very strong-willed, and God allowed his will, his strong will, to be even strengthened more in the area that he was wanting to go. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I see it in mm -hmm. the biblical sense. That works. Do you have something, Joe? I think uh, one thing, that Pharaoh was in the land of uh, paganism. And uh, undoubtedly he probably knew about creation. But I don't think a man hardens his heart. And I think uh, it was a preordained that Pharaoh hardened his heart. God uh, allowed him the freedom to choose this way. And so in a, in a, uh, God is just saying, okay, if this is the way you want it, I'm just backing off and do mm -hmm. what you want, but you're going to pay the price. So in that way, I think that God let Pharaoh harden his own heart, mm -hmm. but in a way it was still God hardening his heart mm -hmm. because we are born with a free will, mm -hmm. but, but it's our responsibility to to accept mm -hmm. uh, the Lord. We can't harden our hearts. Well, we're not supposed to, but you know yeah. but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I, it's a hard issue. And the only reason I bring it up again, because I think it's a it's one that I don't I don't really have a firm grisp, grasp on it, but I'm sure it's because that we aren't God. You know, that we we probably cannot have a real thorough understanding of it. But I do know that it's true and that it's a mystery of God that we have both free will and that he is in control of everything. I mean, he said, to get back to your thing, he, he told Pharaoh in one of these plagues, he says, look, you know, I didn't need you for this. I could have wiped out all of the Egyptians in a single day if I'd wanted to. So what I'm doing here is uh, all these things that I made you guys talk about earlier. You know, I'm, I've got, I'm accomplishing all these kind of things through you. I'm going to try to be John over here. Uh-oh. What he's doing is setting a legal precedent. <laughs> if you look in from a court case, he is addressing all the statements that any of the other gods might make, uh -huh. including Pharaoh, about him being a god. So yeah. he is settling that in a legal yeah, way. He's calling his witnesses. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, enough of this. Let's go on. Um, I was thinking that what I would like to do is... Uh, like I say, I, I don't recall, quite honestly, whether we talked about the eighth plague or not. It's in chapter 10, Exodus chapter 10. So I thought I would read about the eighth plague, and then we'll talk about that, and you can remind me whether or not we did this last week. Okay, so maybe reading about it will be of no value, but I doubt it. Okay, in uh, starting in chapter 10, I'm going to read, and then we'll get everybody else to read later. 
Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow, and they will cover the face of the ground so that you cannot, so it cannot be seen, and they will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. And then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship Yahweh their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? So his, his own advisors were saying, you know, wake up, dude. <laughs> Get a clue. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship Yahweh your God, he said. But just who will be going? And Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to Yahweh. And Pharaoh said, Yahweh be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship Yahweh since that's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt so that the locust will swarm over the land and devour everything, growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and Yahweh made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought locusts, and they invaded all Egypt and settled in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on a tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against Yahweh your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to Yahweh your God and take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locust and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. Oh, did we read that last week? Okay. Okay, Mark has something. So in verse 9, it says, Moshe said, we shall go with our young, our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, herds, we'll go. But we must hold a hog. Hog? So how do they know it's a hog? And we haven't even learned about uh, the word the word in English here was festival, which is like a, it's a, it's one of those things that's described the, in Leviticus. The Hebrew word is chag, and yeah. of course, there's only three of those in 
the seven feasts of the Almighty. Of course, unleavened bread, which is associated at the same time Passover happens, and then of course uh, Shavuot and uh-huh. uh, Tabernacles. So, how did they know they were going to go celebrate a Chag? Mm-hmm. That's that's an interesting question. No, I'm not. I'm no. Let 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 that set for a while. I have an answer, but it's not a particularly satisfying one. My answer is that Moses was writing about this and, you know, and and what's happened. So he used the word hog because he knew what it was, but they didn't. At the time, they didn't know what it was. So that's like I say, it's kind of a non-answer, but it's an answer. Yeah. Go ahead. You can do whatever you want there, Paul. I have have a a side note for this. if I may read it, the, clim- the climax of Moses' mission is impending. The last three plagues, the commandment to sanctify the new moon, which is the basic of the Jewish calendar and the festival cycle, the law of Passover, and the sanctification of the firstborn are about to come in quick cessation. Okay. So if I understood what that said, and it's, this goes along with stuff that Mark's been teaching us too, is that this occurred during the new moon. Is it not possible that since from the Garden of Eden on, it mentions that the sun and the moon and the stars were put there for the Moeds, mm-hmm. that they've been practicing to some degree yep. all the way through? Absolutely, it's possible. It's probably true. Yeah. I mean, it would, uh, let's see. You couldn't have, it would be difficult for, me to imagine that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob understood the meaning of Passover because it hadn't happened yet. But on the other hand, they could have understood that, look, on the 15th day of the first month, you should have a celebration. You should have a, a hog, you know, and then, and, and, you know, you'll know later. <laughs> Film at 11. But the very fact that Cain and Abel brought offerings... They certainly knew about that. So that was somewhat like the Passover. Well, that's a good point. That's fair. That's fair. So it had happened. My understanding is that even when uh, Noah, those events took place on appointed days and appointed times. Yes. So the question is trying to line up the calendar and seeing since Yah does all of these things on his appointed time. Yep. Was the Passover the same as Noah and his family being well, yeah. passed over? I'm, I'm so sh- yeah. was that the appointed time? So did they observe those appointed times? I would think yes. they did. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I haven't fact-checked as the line. No, 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 no. I, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I don't want to give too much away of what we're going to be reading about this week for our study on Shabbat, but we are going to be talking about Abraham as the kinsman redeemer. And it is interesting that this happens on this specific time of the year around the time of Pesach and unleavened bread, because it's a theme of redemption. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's redemption. Just like, 
Abraham is redeeming Lot at the time of redemption. Lot gets redeemed again a year later, whatever it is, from Sodom and Gomorrah uh-huh. at the same exact time because he tells when he tells Abraham and Sarah, you know, you're going to have a child at this time next year. Well, that time was the time of Pesach. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's- yeah, I, I, I think there's enough evidence. I mean, we, we've said in other Tuesday night classes that they've known Torah all along from the beginning. Yes. And what part do we want to leave out? Yes. So did they know all of it, or did they only know pieces? No, no, of that's it? fair. Uh, let me try this on you because I'm, you know, I'm learning. That's one of the things I like about this job is I learn as we go along too. Um, the word Pesach, uh, first of all, the word Pesach was translated into English as Passover, and it's a perfect English translation for what we're going to read about because God says, you know, if you put the blood on your doorpost, the angel of death will pass over you. That's what Passover means. Pesach doesn't mean Passover. Pesach is some word. I don't know what it means. Now, if you go and look it up, it'll refer to this event. But who's to say that God didn't say, look, on the 15th of the first month, celebrate a feast of redemption to me. You won't, I mean, he didn't say this, but I'll say it. You won't understand all that it means right now, but it'll become clear to you later and you'll know why you're supposed to celebrate this. So, and that's exactly like God. That's exactly what he would do. Because like you say, the stars and the moon and all of that are for moeds. They're for appointments. It's his appointment schedule. Yeah, that makes good sense. Pat's got something. Without the shedding of blood, there's no um, remission of sins. Yep. So consequently, I had the idea that the reason that Cain and Abel's things were not okay, both, is because one was a blood sacrifice. It must have had something even back then as a means of repentance mm-hmm. because Adam and Eve had yep. That's fine. needed it. <laughs> I agree with that. I think you're probably right. Expanding on that, though, uh, Cain's wasn't accepted because his heart wasn't right, what he was doing, because they still did the, the offerings with the grain offering and stuff, too. Yep. But Cain's heart wasn't right. Yep. So. But it could have been. I mean, I'm going to make this up. It's entirely made up by me. It could have been that had Cain traded some of his produce to his brother for an animal and sacrificed the animal, God would have found that wholly acceptable. And it also plays into what you're saying because Cain's attitude was, well, heck, I'll take some of this, you know, these grapes and stuff I've got over here and I'll, I'll give those to him. And, and it does show his attitude. But maybe Cain did know that what was required was a blood sacrifice and just chose not to do it because it wasn't that important to him. So that fits too. Yeah. Also, the, the meaning of Pesach is, is a, a victim, an animal. Is that right? Yeah, an animal sacrifice is what it is. It's a victim. I didn't know that. That's um, live and learn. Where'd you? How'd you figure that out? Oh, Strong's. Strong's. Okay. Sixty-four fifty-three Passover sacrifice of Passover animal victim of the Passover festival of the Passover. Well, they do call it the Pesach lamb, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the it's the offer. It's really the offering. It's the that, offering. Yeah, it's the offering. It's not. It's not the day, and the and the reason for doing the offering is 
for a purpose. Uh-huh. The purpose is redemption. Redemption. Ah, that's very good. See, live and learn. Remember what I was going to say. Oh, the fact that even if Cain didn't know prior to that, he was told it's crouching at your door. Yes. All you have to do is go get it. Yeah. It's not a matter of having to go buy it from your brother or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And you, there's no question about it. This yeah. is go get what's crouching at your door and you'll be That's fine. Fair. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. Paul? So the root of uh, Pesach is Pasach, which is a verb, which means to, and that comes from uh, 6452, which means to skip over, spare, uh, or to pass over. Make uh, here, uh, sometimes I, I I wonder if we're not chasing says, our own tail. This says 60, 64.52 is an exemption, an exemption. Okay. So, ah, an exemption. That's like a redemption. Yes. All right. Yeah. We never suffer from lack of things to talk about. <laughs> so. Stay with me for a minute on this thought. <clears throat> so God says in Numbers 3.13, For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel. Mm-hmm. So during a time of redemption, let's just say Passover and unleavened bread time, he's taking the lives of this group of people to sanctify to himself this group. Mm-hmm. At the flood, couldn't he have sanctified Noah and his family at the cost of the other people's lives? And couldn't that have been at a time of redemption? Mm-hmm. Certainly. Margaret, did you have something? Paul's getting his steps in today. That's good. We need that. <laughs> um, what was it? <laughs> hey, if you do that... You know, you're the only, <laughs> you, we all um, do that. It seems like, it seems like, um, you know, just, just the firstborn, just the idea of the firstborn and the inheritance and the, and the double portion was coming through in, um, in with Noah. Um, and what they were teaching, even with, uh, even with, uh, Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. yeah, that firstborn, yeah. So there's the, that thought there is significant, and that the firstborn, I mean, there's something about a firstborn. Well, I tell you, I've had that a similar <laughs> yeah. kind of thought yeah. in that um, I think uh, it's God's intention that the firstborn be the one that's uh, that's set aside for Him and that will carry on carry out His plan. The adversary knows that. And so the adversary does everything he can to subvert the firstborn, you know, to, to yeah. ruin that. And you can see it. You can see it in Abel. You can see it in Jacob. You can see it all over the place where God is, is forever saying, okay, fine, you can, you can mess my plan up concerning the firstborn, but I'll just use this. I'll just use his brother. I'll just use the next one. He does that all over the place. And I think, again, that's God kind of thumbing his nose at the adversary saying, you can try all you want. 
but I can, you know, I, I do agree that the firstborn is a very important concept. And I think what God has shown us through a lot of these stories is that, okay, you can, you know, you can try to uh, make my plan not work, but it's not going to, I'm not going to fail. Okay. We talk about what we read. We're talking about what? And we talk about what we read. You can talk about, yes. Thanks, John. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I wanted to do the horse thing that you said, the beating the dead horse. Beating thing. a dead horse. We are definitely beating the dead horse. Go ahead. No, I'm serious. sorry. Okay. I'm curious in verse 10, he says, and he said unto them, Pharaoh said unto them, let Yahweh be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it for evil is before you. Then he's, he's conscious, he's, he's concerned, Mr. Pharaoh is, and he says, Go now, ye that, ye that are men, and serve Yahweh, for ye did desire, uh, for, they, for ye did desire, and they went driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So he's not letting the women go, apparently. Is yeah. Well, yeah, my paraphrase is much nicer than that, because it says, Pharaoh said, Yahweh be with you if I let you go along with your women and children, exclamation point. Clearly, you are bent on evil. Well, this not is, ha- this no, is, not have have only the men go and worship Yahweh, since that's what you've been asking for. Well, okay, the King James says, of course, we all know that's what Moses got. At yes, we did. Yes, we did. Along with the, with the extra data. That's a King James tablet you have on your shirt, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. It's a King James tablet. <laughs> uh, it says, for evil is before you, like he's warning them that bad things mm-hmm. are happening. He's not, it, it's a different, interesting translation. That says... Your Israel is intent evil. on evil. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, the King James said, no, the Pharaoh's a nice guy. He's trying to warn you of all these problems that are going to come yeah. up. Okay, maybe. No, I'm just, I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> I, to me, it's the, the bigger picture is Pharaoh is changing the, con- changing the deal. He's renegotiating. Yes. Yes, he's, yes, he is. And that's not, you know, the very next verse, God doesn't even entertain anything. He says, send the plagues. He's, he's, yeah. he's in breach of what I intended to do. Yeah. Did you have something, Mark? Yeah, just to add to the little thread that I gave a little bit ago about someone in your place, this is the scripture I was trying to find that I couldn't, and I found it. So it's in Isaiah 43, 3 and 4. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Now, the reason we can tie that to Pesach is because this Hebrew word kofer for ransom is also found in Psalm 49.7. It says, no man can by any means redeem, which can only take place at one time of the year, Mm -hmm. his brother or give to God a ransom kofer, for him. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. Now the horse is dead. We're moving on. Okay. That was plague number eight. So now we're plague number nine. Um, it's the last few verses here of chapter 10. Would somebody like to read from verse 21 to the end of chapter 10? Margaret will do that. Great. Exodus 10, 21. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand 
toward heaven, that there may that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve Yahweh, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto Yahweh our Elohim. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not, there shall, there shall not a hoof be left behind. For therefore we must take to serve Yahweh our Elohim, and we know not with what we must serve Yahweh until we come thither. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto them, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself. See my face no more, for in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. Okay. So plague number nine, we know because we know the end of the story, that it's getting getting right down to the to the wire here. Um, what What did it look like? Joe's got the his hand up. You know, another uh, side note on this uh, Rambon uh, commented that the darkness was not merely an absence of light, but an uh, opaque, fog-like conditions that distinguish all flames so that the Egyptians could not even use lamps. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, we think oh, it's dark outside. Mm -hmm. But what this is talking about here is way, it's a... Uh, beyond that, even. It's beyond that. It's yeah. darkness on uh, steroids. Yep. Two things on that. One, I agree with what he's saying, I think, because it says that the Israel, well, it's, first it says that there was darkness over all the land, mm -hmm. which would include where the Israelites were. Yeah. By the way, that coincides with a new moon. Okay. Yeah. And But the, but the moon can't eclipse it for three days unless God yep. stops everything like he did okay. uh, for uh, Joshua. Fair point. So what's interesting is, and usually the eclipse is over a real small area. It wouldn't be over an entire, you know, yeah. country. But the thing is, it says that Israelites had light in their dwellings. Yeah. And so that would give credibility. What he was saying is somehow the Egyptians weren't able to kindle a light and, and create anything, and the Israelites were able to have that light, which is very interesting because it, it – Shows what Polly was saying. This this young man that we were talking about last Shabbat, who had who had had the dream and was taken to a place that was absent of light and absence of God's presence, and it was beyond scary. It was it was just crazy, uncomfortable. So I can't imagine what this darkness for three days, where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Yeah, that must have felt really, really. Really, really strange. Yep. 
the word koshek, darkness. Okay. Yeah, this is the first time it's used beyond Genesis 1, where it talks about the, the separation of light, uh, light and darkness. The is that darkness right? darkness there okay, is and the, the one spoken of in Genesis chapter 1. Okay. So it's not like, like you said, it's not Arab nighttime or something like that. No, it's just, yeah, it's total darkness. A new moon, it's just <laughs> koshek, super, super yeah. dark. Super dark. I remember as a kid one time being out camping, and, you know, it was a dark night, and... and Somebody says, put your hand in front of your face. Can you see it? And, you know, you couldn't even see it. And I remember thinking, wow, that's dark. <laughs> Go ahead. When my son was little, we mm-hmm. were driving around in Southern California, down around Cripple Creek, and there was, no, there was a gold mine. And he wanted to go in it, so we put on the rain gear, and we got in the basket. We went down in this mine, I, I don't know how far, maybe a couple hundred feet, I, I don't know. But it was ways. And we get out of this basket and we walk 15 or 20 feet away from it and they turn out the light. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I am sure this didn't even compare to what we're talking about here, but just what I went through was really unnerving. Yep, yep. It's scary, boy. No two ways about it. Just reading here in verse 21, uh, when Moses uh, stretched forth his hand towards the heavens, and there shall be darkness upon the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. We get the light at nighttime from the moon mm-hmm. and from the stars, and God shut that light out. Mm-hmm. So at least there, that. There, was yeah. no, there was nothing on earth. Mm-hmm. That would emit light. Yeah, and then according to what else you wrote, you read, the everybody's lights went out, so they didn't have any candles or anything to burn, and it was dark. And every time they'd try to do something, it wouldn't work. So yeah, it was dark. One final note before we leave this is the the Pharaoh would he advertised himself as the son of Ra, the sun god. So this was the biggest slap in his face. Okay, come on, sun god, you know, uh, why can't you fix this? Yeah. Yep. So, any other thoughts about the ninth plague? All right, so we're chapter 11. Yes, Mark? So does the scriptures attest to this darkness coming back again someday? Well, that's a very good question. Yes. Revelation says that the darkness is coming back again. Just like it doesn't mention all the plagues, it mentions the hell and a few others. Yeah. Blood and frogs and and the darkness. I didn't know that. Okay. So one of the, you know, there's there's a thought out there that it's another, because there's a scripture that God says, I'm calling my mighty warriors, my, do my battle from the farthest reaches of the heavens. And so one of the thoughts is that it's an actual, another heavenly body that is obscuring the sunlight, the moonlight, and all the stars, therefore blocking that out, which would, that would create a three-day eclipse if it was something much bigger than what we see the moon is. Yep. So if the moon can eclipse it for five, five minutes, you know, how, much more, how much bigger would it take to eclipse it for three days? No kidding. No kidding. Pat. Well, it's a big cloud 
Well, it could. It has to be a uh, pretty dense cloud, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a dense cloud could be felt. John. <laughs> this horse is still breathing. I figured we'd move on before I got accused of animal cruelty. So maybe we're looking at it a little bit backwards. Instead of looking at how dark it was, why was it light with Israel? Doesn't it say that the sun will go away and then the Yahweh will be the, will be the light? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what it says. So is he in there? Okay, okay that could very well be. It, it, doesn't, it does not say that per se, but that certainly makes sense. That certainly makes sense. Well, that's... Uh, All the Israelites saying are that, uh, the Israel had lights, just like uh, previously plagues. Yeah. It affected Egypt, but then the... the yeah flocks and everything of Israel was saved. Yeah. You know, the, the, the first few everything. plagues affected everybody, but then he started singling out Israel, and then they didn't affect them after that. That's true. Let's move on to chapter 11. Let's see. Chapter 11 is a big old long thing. Oh, no, it's not. It's short. Would somebody like to read chapter 11? Oh, Mike would. Great. Go for it. And Yahweh said to Moshe, I am bringing yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Mitzrayim. After that, he is going to let you go from here. When he lets you go, he shall drive you out from here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people. Let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor objects of silver and objects of gold. And Yahuwah gave the people favor in the eyes of the Mitzrites. And the man Moshe was very great in the land of Mitzrayim. In the eyes of Pharaoh's servants, and in the eyes of the people. And Moshe said, Thus said Yahuwah, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Mitzrayim, and all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Mitzrayim, such as... Uh, such as has never been or ever shall be again. But against any of the children of Israel, no dog shall move its tongue against man or against beast, so that you know that Yahuwah makes distinction between Mitzrayim and Israel. And all these servants of yours shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people at your feet. And after that, I shall go out. And when he went out from Pharaoh, and he went out from Pharaoh in great displeasure. But Yahweh said to Moshe, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you in order to multiply by wonders in the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. However, Yahweh strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Okay. So... How does God indicate to Moses that this would be the last plague? He tells him, yeah, he says right here, he says, I'll bring one more plague on the Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that, he'll let you go, right? Um, I was kind of curious. Uh, mm -hmm. At the end of uh, chapter 10, when Pharaoh tells Moses, uh, if you ever see my face again, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And Moses says, you're right. I'll never see your face again, but... It looks like he did. It looks like 
He's speaking to him again. Yep. I was hoping nobody brought that up because I never uh, could get figure that out either. And I was wondering, uh, well, I read in another version where he got, he was um, said like red hot anger towards mm-hmm. Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering why he got so angry. Well, why Moses was so angry? Yeah. You think I he guess was just he's just frustrated and he. Yeah. I was just thinking it was because he was, uh, I mean, I would have been angry with him too. Yeah. Frustrated and just saying, man, alive. <laughs> look what, look what you're doing. That's, you know, one of the things I keep going back to is even his servant said to him, don't you realize that Egypt is ruined? You know, the guy was being an imbecile. He was, he was just uh, all by himself and he wouldn't let go. He was a fanatic. Uh, we've been talking about uh, previously about Pharaoh's heart in his heart. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking here at um, the last verse in uh, 11. It says, but Hanshan strengthened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not send out the children of Israel from his land. I think the word strengthen is a uh, more hardening. It's mm-hmm. using is a... Uh, it's exactly right. It's, it's beyond hardening his heart. I yeah. mean, it was the migration of Pharaoh's heart yeah. getting harder and harder and harder. Well, I mean, like I say, it's kind of like what I was saying just, just a second ago, is that even Pharaoh at this point in time could probably see that he was on a fool's errand. There's no way he was going to win. But he couldn't He couldn't back down. He's well, And God helped him. He gave him over to his hard-heartedness. Mark. So in verse 1, it says, I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he's not basically, he's not just going to let you go. He's going to surely yagresh, which is this word uh, yagresh comes from the root garage. And this root garage is used when uh a person or a group of people or a wife is driven out. It, it has to do with divorce, expel, thrusting out, casting out, like Abraham did to Hagar, like God did to the ten tribes of the north. This is how this word is used to describe. So it's not just let go. It's like, Get out. I mean, you're driving them out because you're angry. You want them out of your presence. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out is what time of the, so they slaughter the Pesach lamb uh, between the evens. And so that's, in my opinion, is around 3 p.m. Okay. So they're going to start. It takes a while to slaughter it and prepare it so that you're ready to eat it. So let's say they're eating it. Uh, at uh, at dusk or after dusk, sometime between six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Okay. And at midnight, it says he's going to go through the land of Egypt. Okay. So I'm just making this point because we're going to get to a point later where many of us are going to wonder, okay, when is it that they went out of the land? This has been debated for a long time. Did they go out still at nighttime or did they go out after the, the it broke day? And I'm pointing out that if if this didn't begin until midnight and knowing all of the screams and the absolute horror and terror that everyone was hearing, 
I don't know that I would step foot out until it was daybreak. Oh, boy. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yep. 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 Let's see if I got anything else here. May I I toss something out there? Mm -hmm. The thing about being, you'll not see my face again. Mm -hmm. The way I imagine it or see it is when you're coming to Farrell's court, you're seeing his face. If I'm yelling at you from the outside or I'm speaking it from the outside, I'm not face-to-face. Mm-hmm. You can hear me. And if you come out to speak to me, that's still not seeing my face as an audience in the court. That's so, okay. I can make that. I, I yeah, know. that's all right. I kind of like know. that excuse. <laughs> About the idea of leaving at daybreak. Mm-hmm. Versus in the middle of the night, I imagine it was very, very early in the morning because mm-hmm. of the fact that Yahweh told them to keep their shoes on and their staffs in their hand. He knew they would be leaving very soon after yeah. the that's a very good point. Hit. That's part of the of the way you eat the meal. The um, this idea of um, women ask for ask your neighbors and ask ask for this. Now we heard that before. Do you remember? This is not the first time we heard that. Uh, back when God was talking to Moses in the burning bush, he told him that. He told Moses, he said, uh, you know, Pharaoh, you know, when you leave, when Pharaoh lets you go, you'll take silver and gold with you. Uh, but the people of uh, Egypt will give it to you. Now, and that fits a lot in with drive you out, you know. Well, uh, going to, you know, some <laughs> Israelite goes to his neighbor and says, I was kind of thinking about moving. What do you think? I just really could use some of that, you know, that gold pot over there or some of this other stuff here to make the trip worthwhile. Yeah, here, take it. Just go. Just go. You know, there's there's bound to be some of that going on. Because he yeah, they were driven out. I mean, those people that hadn't waken up, woken up to the fact that God really was God and that Pharaoh really was and, and the gods of Egypt were bankrupt, if they hadn't woken up to that, their only choice would be to say, man, get out of here. Because you're just making our life miserable, and I think there's probably it talks about. We'll see it in a, in not too many days here that uh, there's a uh, mixed multitude that went. I'm sure there was a fairly good sized number of Egyptians that saw the handwriting on the wall way back around plague number four or five. You know. So anyway, want to go on? Oh, John. So this death death threat is just for one class of people, the firstborn. Yeah. Not not everybody else. That's right. That's what it says, right? Right. I just Yeah, I know you're making a point, and that's good. You just want us to make sure and realize that it was just for the firstborn. Right. Yeah. Not everyone was saved, just the firstborn that followed the instructions. Yes. Yeah. Now was was Pharaoh our firstborn? That's a good question too. That is a good question. I would assume so because he continues to live on here to make their life miserable for the next few weeks. I think the firstborn is the, like if you have a firstborn, then from generation to generation, uh, it's an, a, a progression of uh, the Egyptians. But if you kill the firstborn, then that's going to stop the different uh, generations from being whatever. I don't know about that. You could be right. I don't know. I guess up till this point, 
other than like the first three plagues, Yahweh always protected his people. They weren't affected by the plagues. Mm -hmm. But in this case, they were required to do something, mm -hmm. whereas before that there was no requirement. So very good point. Yeah, the and the in the previous ones, the plagues that uh, the latter plagues, if you will, yeah, God just protected them. But here they had to do something. Now that's very interesting because you know I've often thought about this: what they ask, what God asked them to do, pretty. I mean, it's kind of a strange thing, really. I mean, it's not like it's difficult or anything, but you would have to have faith to do it, right? You wouldn't want to say, ah, I can't be serious about that. I'll take a pass on it. You know, you'd, you'd, <laughs> there's too much at stake there, so you'd definitely have to do it, yeah. Well, I don't think it would have been hard at all because, the, you know, they're sitting there and seeing what's happening to the Egyptians, so yep. he says it, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep, well, I agree. Now, here's here's something for you to think about, and I'm just now coming up with this. Maybe you can help me resolve it. Do you suppose any of the Egyptians did this? Do you suppose any of the Egyptians put blood on their doorposts? Okay. Yep, yep. They, they knew enough to bring their cattle in out of the hailstorm and those kind of things, yeah. That's true, too. There were bound to be Israelites that didn't do that. Yep. Interesting to think about that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going back to um, where he was told to tell Pharaoh, you got to give us other stuff, too. Mm -hmm. So that's like, we don't know what Yahweh's going to require. So it's like, you know, it's, he kind of foretold that he was going to require not just um, Israel taking their stuff, but he was going to require for Egypt put in yeah. something to offer to Yahweh. Fair point. One of the things that we often get discussion wherever we're at this point is uh, it seems that this whole idea that came up once several plagues back about uh, my people want to go out into the desert and have a festival, you know, uh, to Yahweh um, was kind of a, a red herring because both God and Pharaoh knew that the people were leaving and not coming back. But they didn't really say that. You know, it's, it's never been said. All, even now, it's like, well, we need to take, we want, we want to take every man, woman, and child that we have, and we want to take all the animals that we have, and buy anything that the neighbors will notice, and we want to go out and have this three-day festival to the Lord. That's not, I mean, Pharaoh knows. Everybody knows they're not coming back. I thought that was kind of interesting. Anyway, do you want to move on? Chapter 12. Um, somebody want to read from verse 1 through verse 13, the first 13 verses of chapter 12. Any takers? Hmm. I'll read it. I don't mind. I can find my... Wait. Oh, we have a taker over here. Yay. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe and Aaron in the land of the Mitzrayim, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the assembly of Yisrael, saying, in the, tenth, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, 
a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole multitude of the assembly of Yisrael shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat it and eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and matzah, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roasted with fire, his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus ye shall eat it, with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is Yahuwah's Pesach. For I will pass through the land of the Mitzrayim this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of the Mitzrayim, both man and beast, and against all of the Elohe of the Mitzrayim, I will execute judgment. I am Yahuwah. And the blood shall be to you for a mark upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of the Mitzrayim. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Um, so God instructs, among other things, it instructs Israel to arrange their calendar around this event. And <clears throat> Mark will probably explain this better, but um, he says, this shall be the first of months for you. And we know from various other things that it's in the spring. And so, and the month always starts on the new moon. Right? So, um, it's interesting you said new moon. I wanted to point out to everybody, this is something that I ran across doing my just biblical studies on words. And that is, every time that it comes up, New moon. Uh, the word for moon is Yarech, and it's never that word. Really? It's just Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh. And Chodesh means month. Okay. But, so, okay. Yes, I know what you're going to say is, yeah. but we associate month with moon. Yeah. But the text doesn't really say that. So it's interesting how we got on associating month with moon. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up because there's a lot of crazy ideas out there of how to calculate the month. But biblically, the word for moon is not in the context with a new month. It's okay. just Rosh Chodesh. Okay. Which is month. Just thought I'd share that. Okay, that's that's interesting. And you know, and it very well and, and when you look up Chodesh, it says month, but then the the lexicon will say it's associating it with moon. Mm-hmm. But if it was moon, you, you would think that it would just say... Use the word. Yeah, using the word for moon, yeah. but it doesn't. Well, now, can we talk about that just a minute? The, 
The word moon and month, obviously in English, come from the same idea. You know, there's, there's, there's some reason that M-O-N-T-H and M-O-O-N are that close together. There's also the fact that, you know, the month, this idea of around 30 days that you see the moon cycle go through once, you know, the, the, the month is a unit that is natural, is all I'm trying to say. I, I don't know why it would be called. I, it doesn't have to have the word moon in it, I guess. Well, it's, and it's interesting because if you look at verse 2, and, mm-hmm. and Mike pointed out to me on Shabbat that uh, it, it does say here, where we were talking about last week, so I, we need to correct what we said last week, and that is it is, at this juncture, it is the very first day of the first month. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a, a day or two before Pesach. Uh, on some of those other plagues. Yeah. But it says this month, doesn't say moon, this month shall be the beginning of months, not moons for you. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> it is to be the first month. And each one of these is the word Hodesh. Hodesh, Hodesh, Hodesh. Hodesh. Okay. Yeah. And it, it's just something that I That's came across. Most thing, people yeah. don't even know that. But I wanted to share that with everybody. It'll give you something to chew on for a little bit. It's the main thing I got out of it. I mean, first of all, it was a real revelation to me to realize that the Hebrew calendar uses the month. You know, uses the, the lunar the, month. The lunar, yeah, well, and so, and that's the key is how did they use it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got my own ideas of how it's used. But um, so I wanted to uh, share another thought here. And that is about it being a the Lord's Passover. And he says, it's a sign. And it's going to be a memorial. And you do it like this in all your dwellings, which we've made the shift here from a corporate Pesach to doing it in your mm-hmm. homes, which I think that's what this is I trying agree. to allude yep. to. My question is, I think we all said the last week, we believe there's another exodus coming. Yep. Scripture attests to that. I wonder sometimes, just, I'm just sharing my own thoughts. Is there going to come a time to where it's going to be important to have the blood on the door again? It may very well be. It may very well be. So now that we're talking about Pesach, I wanted to go over the definition. Strong's, at least according to the, the Blue Letter Bible, it says, Pesach from 6452, uh, pretermission, i.e. exemption, used only technically of the Jewish Passover. And they misspelled technically. I don't know why. <laughs> the sure festival or the victim. So, you know, we can, we can like, I can, we can give Joe a hard time from reading from the, from the, the Chumash, yeah, yeah. it says Jew this, Jew that, Jew the other. But here's Strong's, a, I'm assuming he's a Christian. Yep. He's reading in here, says, oh, it's a Jewish, it's, technically it's a Jewish Passover. Uh. So it's like everybody's doing it. They're, they're both sides, both religions are not recognizing that, that, that label that's not in Scripture on, on this concept. Absolutely, absolutely. Then Jan picked that up a long time ago in our own walk whenever... He says, this doesn't say these are uh, Jewish holidays. It doesn't even say they're Israelite holidays. It says they're his holidays. 
So I'm going to start with verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to what? Well, mine says slaughter. You might say something else. Doesn't say sacrifice, does it? No. So this is just killing an animal. And that's why I asked mm-hmm. about the blood being on, continuing with the blood on the door. And I know that has stopped. Yeah. But because some people would say, some people have said, well, no, that's sacrifice. There's no sacrifice anymore. This isn't saying it's a sacrifice. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. One of the points I wanted to make was um, regardless of how you determine what the exact first of the month is, is determined by the moon, and uh, an Israelite could look at the moon. Even now, you can kind of look up at the moon, and you can determine more or less where you are within the month. For example, the obvious one being when you see a nice big old full moon, you're around the 15th, you know, and whenever you don't see the moon because it's, it's uh, hidden, dark, you're around the first, and you can, you can figure it out. So I think it's kind of cool. I often, I mean, I sat and thought about this, you know, the, you, my, the picture that comes, I think weird, the picture that comes to my mind is the, you know, the, these guys sitting in their caves with the John Deere calendar up on the wall so they can tell what day it is, you know, but obviously they didn't have those. So they have to be able to tell what day it is by just looking. And the moon is a pretty cool way. I mean, you may be off a couple of days, but Back then, it probably wasn't that big a deal. And if you had some group of people whose job it was to keep track, which they did, then you'd know for sure. But the thing is, is you could kind of tell anyway. So we know that this month is to be the first of months for you. It was occurring in the spring. And so that's why the first new moon after the spring equinox is the first of Abib. This first month is called Abib, which means spring. So the first new moon after the spring equinox is the first of a beam. So all of this stuff happens in the spring. It happens then. That was clear to everybody, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, could uh, Genesis one fourteen, where God says signs and seasons be related to this in any way, shape, well, cl- or form? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what the purpose of the moon is, to tell you when the month starts, as far as I'm concerned. And the purpose of the, the and the sun, right? The, the equinox, you can tell where the equinox is by sticking a stick in the ground. Uh, so you can figure out where you are on God's timeline by just the stuff around you. You don't need John Deere calendar, you know? Uh, so, and this tells you when the month, when the year starts. The year starts uh, on the first new moon after the spring equinox. The name of that month is Aviv which means spring. Now, does anybody know how come, if you look today, that month is called Nisan? Babylon. When they, when they, during the Babylonian captivity, among other things, they decided to rename all the months, and they gave half of them pagan god names. You know? But according to the Bible, that's the month of Abib, and it means spring. There's only four original Hebrew month names retained in the scriptures only four okay and they were the first and second month and the seventh and eighth month i did not know that so you've got uh abib and 
I forget the second month. And then the seventh month is, of course, um, Tishri? No, it's uh, Zethanim. And the eighth month is Bull. Okay. Didn't know that either. That's- I forget now the one for the second month, but it's four months that we've retained the original. Huh? No. Four months we've retained from the ancient biblical times okay. of, of months. And all the rest of the names, and the names we currently use now are not the biblical names. They're names that have been thrown in there, in my opinion, on the part of the adversary just to screw things up and make our life confusing. So if you go to this really cool website, livingmessiah.com, <laughs> and then you go to key dates, uh-huh. and then you click way down here to the bottom left, right corner, it says Hebrew months. Hebrew months. Oh, okay. And it lists all the months, Hebrew, the length, the Gregorian equivalent, and the biblical names. Great. Great. I'm glad you told me that. Go check that out. It's a really cool website. It is a very cool website. I'm pretty excited about that, too. Wonder who did that. But anyway, so, so what this says here in this, in this section is that, you know, you, this will be the first of months for you, and it was in the spring, and you count to the 10th of the month. What do you do on the 10th of the month? Yeah, you pick, no, you picked your lamb. You pick your lamb, and if uh, there's only two of you in your household and a lamb can feed more than two people, you ought to go next door and see whether those guys are going to, whether they have a lamb or whether you can join forces so that yours, there is uh, not too much food, but there's enough, enough food for the number of people that are going to be eating the Passover together, all right? And then you keep it from the 10th to the 14th, and on the evening of the 14th, you uh, slaughter it, as Mark says. It doesn't say sacrifice it. You slaughter it in this prescribed way, in which case you, and you roast it. You don't boil it or anything like that. Yes? Yeah, since I have uh, come to this assembly, I have learned a lot about the Torah and b- particularly the festivals. It's, a, it's of, amazing, isn't it? It is. The festivals <laughs> of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I was just uh, reading uh, the 14th verse. This day will, this day shall become a remembrance of you. Mm-hmm. It's like we're uh, we're supposed to keep that going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't quit. Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you brought that up. You're you're just a little bit ahead, but that's you always like to do that. This uh, uh, you can make a strong argument to say that. Pesach, Passover, is the longest continuously celebrated feast in history. Because it was clearly, I mean, this is where it began, and this was certifiably at least 3,500 years ago. And because it was a household thing to do, it was celebrated in households somewhere, probably somewhere in the world for every year of all those 3,500 years. I, I think you could make a strong case for that. All the lands of the scatterings. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to point out again in verse 22, it says, uh, apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, one other last thing before we go, and we haven't got there yet, by the way, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> 
I have fun doing this. Um, if you were, if the day before you were to, you know, kill the lamb and eat it, and you, you went outside at night, what would the moon look like? Yeah, it'd be full, right? Because it would be essentially 14th or the 15th. You'd look up there and you'd say, well, maybe it's not quite full, but you know, I can't really tell. It's real close. That's what I do. I do that all the time. My uh, degree of accuracy about a full moon, just from my own observation, is plus or minus a day, right? You know, if it's not quite round, it might be a little rounder tomorrow, or it might be, yeah. I don't have the reference. I can get it for you. I just it would take me a minute to find it. But in Josephus and the Talmud and Mishnah, they because there are people out there that say that the Passover time is really at a covered dark moon. Really? I'm sure many of you have heard that. There's there's a group of people that say no, it's it's the reverse. We've got it all messed up. It's okay. The the full moon is the actual new moon, and when what we call the new moon, that's when the feasts take place. For one thing, we did a moonlight hike up at Usury mm-hmm. on a full moon. We did a hike, and it's very obvious to see uh, that when God is moving them the next day through the wilderness, it's a whole lot easier to see where you're going if you're still driving at night when the moon is full. Yeah. The other thing is, um, in Josephus and those other two pieces of literature I mentioned, they indicate in there that at the Passover time that the light of the moon is full. Ah, okay. So it completely dispels the yeah. other way of thinking. And that's, it's in that literature on th- three sources. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's good because uh, acad- academics always like to see um, the validity of the Bible verified by somebody non-biblical. And Josephus is a great place to look for that stuff. Yeah, that's great. Uh, on uh, verse uh, 16, mm-hmm. on the first day shall be a holy convocation. What is that? Holy convocation is a get-together. It's what? A get-together. A get-together. A get-together, okay. yeah. It's a meeting. And then on the seventh day, what should be Shabbat? Well, it's not necessarily... It's. And it's the seventh day of the feast. The feast is seven days long. So the first day is a holy get-together, and the seventh day is a holy get-together. So it's, it's just the seventh day. It's not necessarily a Shabbat. As a matter of fact, in some cases it will be, but in most cases it won't be because the, the 15th of the month doesn't always fall on a Shabbat, just like the 25th of December doesn't always fall on a Tuesday, Right? So, um, however, you can guarantee that sometime between the 1st and the 7th, there is a Shabbat. That's important later. So, the Hebrew word is mikra. It's mostly translated convocation. But one of them is is assembly. Assembly. So, I have a creator-given unalienable right to assemble. (laughs) Right? Just like it says in the Bill Bill of Rights. Holy assembly. Set apart. Do you, think, do you think the founding fathers may have been talking about that? Oh, do you think? Yeah, I think. I definitely think. Okay, since you guys are about halfway down there anyway, I'm going to take the uh, take it upon myself to read some more, and then we'll kind of call our night here. So I'm going to start at verse 14. Chapter 12, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate 
For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work on all at all on these days except to prepare the food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When Yahweh goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, Yahweh will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to Yahweh, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshiped, and the Israelites did just what Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Pretty dramatic. But that's really fun, really fun to talk about that. We're about done, but I want to make one point. Um... I think it's real important the way he says, um, this, make this a lasting ordinance. Make this a something you do continually. Uh, and when you enter the land, keep doing it. And when your children ask you, why does this, what does this ceremony mean to you? You tell them. And the point is, is this is how God gets his plan executed beyond generations. You know, if you you know this to be true, some of your earliest memories, I hate to say it, if you're like me, are probably Christmas, right? And so even now, when we kind of gave up Christmas, it was a little bit tough because we were giving up something that was kind of ingrained in us, something that we'd been doing since we were born. Tradition, exactly. Traditions have great value. Like I say, they're what God uses to move his plan forward through generations. It what it's what lets him have a plan that lasts thirty five hundred years. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Oh boy, I have a challenge with that. Uh oh. 
theologian Thomas Aquinas mm -hmm. explained that there are three types of biblical precepts, moral, ceremonial, and judicial. Oh. He holds that moral precepts are permanent, having held even them before the law was given since they were all part of the law of nature. Ah. Ceremonial precepts, the quote-unquote ceremonial law, dealing with forms of worship, God, and with ritual cleanliness and judicial precepts, such as those in Exodus 21, came into existence only with the law of Moses and were only temporary. The ceremonial commands were ordained to the divine worship for that, for that particular time and to the foreshadowing of Christ. Accordingly, upon the coming of Christ, they ceased to, bait, to bind and to observe them now would, Aquinas thought, be equivalent to declarifying falsely that Christ has not yet come. For Christians, a mortal sin. Now, did do, do, any of you, do any of you have a hard time realizing that, that nothing could be more wrong than that? There's, there's no scriptural foundation for any of that. It's all Thomas. He's the great theologian. Yeah. He's the, he is the... the, the he is the great theologian of Catholicism. He's their favorite child. Yep, Notice you. he comes up with natural law, too. Oh, that, yeah. So I've had this debate with people, and everything is always hinging on their classification as moral laws. Yeah. I'll say to them, show me in the text anywhere where God is separated out as a moral law, judicial. Show me where he classifies it in those categories. There's it nowhere. is none. Yeah. There's nowhere. I wish it was obvious to everybody, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to be able, you have to be willing to say, is that really right? You know? Yeah. Um, mentioning the fact that Yahweh planned for us to pass it down by traditions, he knew there would be many places that didn't, and times where there would be no written mm -hmm. instructions or in countries where it was forbidden, yep. which I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. We had a question back here. I wonder if you, Chase, why did Yahweh tell them to collect silver and gold when they were going into the desert and he knew they wouldn't need it there? Well, I can come up with two or three reasons. One reason, it was in this way that they would plunder Egypt. So not only did they get their freedom, they conquered Egypt. And they took away plunder. That's one reason. Another reason, they didn't need it because they had to build all this stuff for the tabernacle. They had to build this big, huge menorah and all this kind of stuff. So they, they needed this stuff for that. Could, I don't know, that's the only two I can come up with off the top of my head. Could I? Yep. Could it be another one, too, that the Egyptians said, it's no good to us. Here, you do it on our behalf. You're the, the priest, the priestly nation. You make the sacrifices for us on our behalf. There may have been a few that said that. I'll bet Pharaoh wasn't one of them. Well, yeah. Pharaoh's kind of, he's got that hardened heart problem. Yeah, yeah he does. He's going to die of a heart attack if he doesn't watch it. Are there any other comments? Okay, let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the things that we can get from it. Thank you for the discussion we have. I think it certainly makes me think. It makes all of us uh, just marvel at how great you are, how wonderful it is that we can sit here and look at this and uh, discuss things that are meaningful, meaningful to you and meaningful to us. I ask that you just bless us this week as we go through the week and that you uh, protect us until we meet together on Shabbat. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thanks very much, all you guys on.